here in obedience to Christ. No other reason. When we go into an elders board meeting and we wrestle with what are we to do, and you push it all aside, it comes down to what is the Lord calling us to do? And any reason not to be here would be fear of the consequences. It would be the fear of jail, the fear of fines, the fear of man. And we know where to fear God. And so make no mistake no mistake about it this is not a political statement this is not we're not political activists we're not revolutionaries we understand that 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 gets tied in obviously but we're here to obey our lord and savior jesus christ who says any man wishes to come after me he must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. And we love Jesus. We do. Welcome back to the G3 Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Bice, and today I'm going to be talking about the issues related to Pastor James Coates in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, who was jailed for his unwillingness to submit to the health orders and to not meet together as a church. And so we're going to be talking about what that means, what that looks like for us, not only here in the United States, but in other places of the world, as we continue to hear about the pressures of the government putting pressures upon the local church, suggesting that you should not meet and you should just merely have, quote unquote, virtual church. And as we have been seeking to navigate this very difficult journey over the past year, it's provided a lot of challenges for gospel ministry. Pastors have been greatly discouraged and churches have become extremely unhealthy as a result of this time apart, this separation of the church body. As we look at the Bible, we see continuously over and over and over again the command for the church to meet together. The Bible says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but yet we should be gathering for the purpose of stirring one another up and for building up the the body of Christ in love. And so when we look at the scriptures and we see a continuous number of verses that suggest that we should be together, we are a together people and that we should be building one another up in love, and that we should be sharpening one another and challenging one another and holding one another accountable, and then corporately coming together to magnify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in corporate worship. Nevertheless, the government continuously places pressures upon the local church to not meet, and that has divided the church in such a way that we're unable to, and specific local churches are unable to actually fulfill the command of Christ to be together and to love one another and serve one another and worship with one another as a gathered assembly. And so as we think about these pressures, and of course within the United States, you have certain places that it's very much free and very much open, but then you have other places like in California and New York and other places where it's very difficult to meet. And the pressures are extremely high upon the local churches there. 
And so as we think about this, we need to be putting an intense focus, if we will, upon what the Word of God actually says. And the Bible says that we should obey God rather than man. And so when we're persecuted, when we're experiencing the trials and the difficulties, we need to make sure that our commitment ultimately is to Jesus Christ. And so joining me today for this episode of the G3 Podcast is Erin Coates. She is the wife of Pastor James Coates, who serves as the pastor of Grace Life Church in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And he's been jailed for defying the health orders in Canada. So Erin, welcome to the G3 Podcast. Thank you so much, Pastor Josh. It goes without saying that we are praying for you and for your family and for your church as you endure this trial. But although this is a terrible situation for you guys to endure, it's certainly a joyful thing to see the Christian community come together to support you and your husband and your church during this difficulty. Yeah, that has been the biggest blessing of this whole thing has um, been the support from just men and women that we have loved and respected over the years and who have been faithful to preach Christ, to see them um, come around us and love us through this season, I, I think has just bolstered our confidence and um, has kept us going. It's it's hugely encouraging and never underestimate encouragement. <laughs> well, amen. Aaron, I want to talk to you today about the facts of this story. I'm seeing a lot of things and I'm hearing a lot of things online that uh, are questioning the various details about the story. So I think it would be best if we could just go back to the beginning and you could tell the story and you could help us understand how this entire scenario progressed to the point where Pastor James was arrested. Tell us a little bit about your church. Where is it located and how long have you guys been serving there? We're in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. James is a, a graduate of the Master's Seminary and in 2010, um, we had a committee come down looking for a pastor and uh, they found us and we were excited to find this little light shining in Edmonton. And we have been there ever since. And they are just we, we've grown over the years. Uh, we're almost at our 11 year anniversary. Um, and she just has a heart for the Lord, a heart for our city. Um, I, I get this all the time that she's such a unique church by her love. Um, and it's so true. I have never seen a church function the way that Grace Life does. Um, she's just so serious about the truth, uh, her pursuit of holiness, her pursuit of Christ and wanting to see the lost saved. So she's just really, she's a really precious congregation. Is your church affiliated with any specific denominational group? No, um, we kind of wanted our doctrinal statement to allow people to see kind of who we were. And really it's um, aligns with John MacArthur's church. So we would have the same doctrinal statement as them, but we are, we're an independent church. Aaron, take us back over the course of this last calendar year. It's been an enormous year of challenges for the local church and for pastors to care for the people. But during this COVID-19 pandemic season, did your church take time off at any point? And how did you guys actually approach that season? We, we did take time off when COVID hit, we, we hit the pause button. And I think rightfully so, because we didn't know what was going on. And obviously you're trusting the information that's being given to you. And so in Alberta, um, I think it happened kind of slowly. They started restricting very slowly. Like it went from, I think 
50 to 20 to 10 to, you know, we could only have our sound guys there. Um, so there was an extreme lockdown, uh, I believe is from the end of March uh, into June ish. My timelines are, are a little bit difficult. And uh, we we weren't meeting, we were doing live stream. And that was really a really difficult time for our church. When you have a church that is so heavily involved in one another's lives and they're the true acts to church, when you separate us, um, it, it was almost like our church went into mourning. Um, and it was just a really difficult time um, that we faced as a church. It was really difficult for James um, to be a shepherd and to preach the word and to not be able to interact with his congregation and to see their eyes and their body language as he's preaching the word. And obviously we're all separated into our home. So that was a really hard thing for us. So as time went on um, and the, the lockdown was coming to an end, the emergency state was coming to an end. Our guys were just looking at what was happening, the conflicting information coming in. And we have frontline workers, nurses, um, a doctor that we're, we're speaking with. And the information that was coming to us wasn't really lining up with what was coming from AHS, which is Alberta Health Services. Um, so what our government has done is they ultimately have given Alberta Health Services, one woman, the power to make any laws that she wants to make in regards to restricting any areas of life. So whether it's work, recreation, worship, all of those are, are on her call. Um, and so as our guys started to just evaluate the information coming in, as they started to see the pressure on our people, um, they decided like, okay, we're going to, we're going to open back up. We're going to do this to the glory of God, because we believe that we should be worshiping together as a congregation, um, according to God's word. So we did that all through the summer. We've met for 31 weeks so far. And then in about November, Somebody started calling, uh, like started kind of snitching on us. Uh, so we have like our Bible studies and our women's ministry and all of that running during the week. And people were complaining that we were in the building, even though there wasn't uh, too much of a restriction. So Alberta has always had a restriction. I think during that time in the summer, it was about 30% capacity. And then um, active cases started to go up. And I'm not really sure if active cases and positive cases are the same thing. Um, and so our government did another extreme lockdown at the beginning of December where you can only have 15% capacity, you have to wear masks, you have to social distance, you can't sing, you can't converse with anybody outside of your own home, and you have to leave the service immediately. Uh, you can't have anybody into your home. So what people are saying, you know, why don't you just do home church? Well, you're not allowed to have people in the home. And so we... We just thought we have to keep going for the glory of God, for the health of our church, for the sake of the, the ministry that we're doing in our city, that we need to stay open and, and keep hearing the preaching of the word, keep singing, keep taking part of the ordinances, keep doing the one another's. Um, and then the pressure really started to come on us for about, I think it's about two and a half months, AHS and the RCMP were visiting our building frequently and coming in and uh, just observing us, which is a little unsettling because you're never really sure what's going to happen. And then on December 17th, um, AHS posted an order that we abide by the restrictions that AHS had put out and James was fined for not following those. And then so we just 
we kept going and then AHS took us to, to court and the Queen's Bench accepted an application to just hit James harder um, if he was to not abide by the restrictions in place and that, that was potential jail time. And then uh, on January 29th, which was his 41st birthday, um, they issued a closure notice. So they put a, a this church is closed on our front door. Um, but we just, we kept meeting in obedience to Christ. And then on February 7th, James was placed under arrest. The, the police officers came into the service. They left, let us worship. And then they said they wanted to, to either have him come into the police station or they could come back to our church. Um, they had said, you know, you guys have really sought to respect us. We really sought to honor them. Every time they came in, we gave them a standing ovation. We preached the gospel to them and we've fervently prayed for them as well. Um, and so they said, you know, you've really respected us. We want to respect you. So they didn't really want to humiliate James, but they did arrest him that day. And it was a catch and release. Um, and he was issued an undertaking and that if he um, violated the undertaking, that the consequences would be jail time. And so then the following Sunday, um, I think was February 14th was, was a sermon that he preached on the responsibility of government, knowing that he could be arrested for having the worship service the way that we had it. And so the RCMP called him and said, we, we, we'd like you to turn yourself in. And so on Tuesday, February the 16th, he turned himself in. And um, so I don't think he thought, I, I'm not sure if he thought he was going to stay or not, um, but he had two hearings before the Justice of the Peace, and the Justice of the Peace said, I am not interested in making a martyr of this man and essentially wash their hands of him. And so they put a, a condition in place that if he didn't hold worship services the way that he had been, that he could be released. And he just said, I, I can't sign that. Um, and so then he was in the RCMP overnight because they detained him and then he was going to go before a judge the following day. And so they actually cuffed him both ankles and wrists. Like he, he called me and he said, honey, they shackled me. Um, we were trying to find him. I couldn't find out what time his, his um, trial was. They were telling us he wasn't in the building and in the providence of God, one of our elders was around the back of the building and they saw the police taking him out. And he had two seconds to tell James that he loved him. Um, and then they pushed him into the car. And so they, they just said they were going to, he's under arrest and he's going to jail uh, if he, he doesn't sign his condition. So James can be released. He, he can walk. Um, he is free to walk if he just capitulates on his conscience and and conviction before the Lord of what his job is as a, as a shepherd for Grace Life Church. So um, he's in prison because he refuses to um, limit the gathering for God's people. Aaron, some people have criticized you and your church as revolutionaries and rebels who should actually be submitting to the authorities. So for the record, is your church seeking to be rebellious? And was your husband seeking to be a revolutionary? No, and anyone who knows my husband would know that is not true of him. Um, even with his ministry, when when he's had opportunities to preach outside of Grace Life, he he has been so much like, no, my heart is for Grace Life. Um, I I really want 
the older men in my life to affirm my ministry before I go out and and do stuff like that. Uh, We had no idea this was going to happen. This was just his devotion to Christ um, and his love for Grace Life Church to not turn any of the people away. Nobody, we didn't know it was going to turn into this. I'm still beside myself. I'm a, I'm a homemaker and a, and a, and a mom. And, you know, I teach our women's ministry, but this is extremely uncomfortable for me. (laughs) Um, but I know that the Lord is using it for a good. And it, it appears that from messages that I'm getting, many people are awakening to the state of the church, at least in Canada and are, are just saying, you know what, Aaron, I was asleep and I, and I didn't even realize it. So that has been so encouraging to my heart. But no, this is a man who loves his wife and loves his children and loves his church. He doesn't want to be in jail, but because he loves Christ more than he loves us, um, that's why he's there. So no, we didn't. We did not want any of this. I'm quite content to make it my ambition to lead a quiet life, to tend to my own business, and to work with my hands. <laughs> Vody Bauckham actually said the following. He said, quote, Suffering is common for all. However, persecution, which is a form of suffering, can be avoided. All you have to do is compromise, end quote. Now, Pastor James was unwilling to compromise. In a sermon that your husband preached just a couple of weeks before his arrest, when addressing the congregation, he said the following, quote, This is not a political statement. We're not political activists. We're not revolutionaries. We're here to obey our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who says, if any man desires to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, end quote. Now, as we study church history, we can certainly see that Jesus's words are true indeed. Anyone who desires to come after Christ will suffer persecution. Being a Christian is a hard thing. Paul himself warned of this in 2 Timothy 3.12. He said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Pastor James is presently being persecuted for obeying God rather than man. That is the simple fact. That's what's happening here. And so it's an encouragement to my soul to see a man who was unflinching and who was willing to suffer the consequences of obeying Jesus Christ. That is exactly what we are called to do. Now, this past Sunday was the first time that your church gathered since the arrest of your husband. So take us back to this past Lord's Day. Did you guys meet together and explain to us how that day unfolded and how the the worship of the church was this past Lord's Day? We did meet. Um, I'd have to say it was the most bittersweet day of my life. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like I experienced on Sunday. That's a bit too much weight and experience, but, um, our, our, our church was packed. Um, we had to actually close the door because we couldn't fit any more people in. And so we ended up serving the rest of the hundred people outside with speakers. And we had guys serving them coffee and all of that tea to keep them warm and had tables out and, um, so really just seeking to, to serve those people. Um, and then Pastor Jake, who is also a graduate of the master's seminary, um, filled the pulpit. And, and I think it just shows like, we're not here to worship a man. I'm not here to worship my husband. I'm here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And if one man is taken out of the pulpit, another man will stand for Christ. And so that's exciting. 
And so um, I've never heard people sing the way they sang. I felt like my hair was blowing forward because just the um, the love for the Lord. And, and I was just so, I was so proud of them that they came and they stood because the consequence right now is very great. We had RCMP lining our street. Um, and so we have no idea what's going to happen. Are we all going to be fined? Are we all going to be arrested? We just don't know. Um, and so you don't know if that moment is the last moment that you're going to be with the gathering and you're going to be able to worship the Lord Jesus Christ freely. So there was just a, there was a rejoicing, there was a mourning, and then Pastor Jake just uh, preached an amazing sermon, putting our responsibility of, of a worthy walk um, from, from um, Philippians 1, 27 through 30, and just heralded Christ. And it was amazing because our, our live stream was full. Um, we have unbelievers in our church. And so the gospel is going forth with power. And it is you know, again, bittersweet, but it's exciting to see what the Lord is doing. Like, I never expected this. It's so shocking to me. Um, but the Lord really just blessed us yesterday. And um, we loved one another. We cried together. We built one another up. And uh, it, was, it was exciting. Aaron, as you look back over church history, as you look at different individuals who have suffered persecution is there any one specific individual that sticks out to you that suffered well for King Jesus that is a present encouragement to you as you navigate the journey of this present trial? You know, I think somebody who really resonates with me today is Charles Spurgeon um, because of the downgrade controversy and, and the stands that he took um, and how he lost his friends over it. But he was so he could see what was going to happen. Um and so his story is just one that's really encouraging me right now to continue to stay the course. Um, we're going to lose friends. People are going to misunderstand what we're doing, and that's okay. That'll all get dealt with at the judgment seat of Christ. Um, my job is just to obey the Lord and to be faithful to him and to learn what he wants to teach me out of this trial. I am I am not perfect. I am not complete in Christ and in my uh, sanctification. So I need to learn and, and grow and know him more through this. So I think Charles Spurgeon would probably be the one who's really sweet to my heart right now. Aaron, as you have this conversation with me today, and as people are listening to this podcast, what would you like to communicate to the Christian community regarding your husband's arrest? Is there anything that you would like to clear up or is there anything that you would like to say specifically to those who are listening? Sure. I think, you know, a, a faithful man who has been called by Christ to be a qualified shepherd of the sheep is in jail because of his conviction and people are um, slandering him. And, you know, that is sad to me because what that shows me is that there is just a very low view of the gathering. There's a very low view of preaching. Uh, there's a very low view of spiritual warfare. It's just a very low view of God um, in total. But it, it tells me that the church is asleep. They don't, they don't really realize what's happening, that they would be okay with saying, um, you know, why don't you just live stream? And I think what makes it so sad to me is that either you a have never experienced true biblical fellowship before, or you've forgotten. And so I would say, 
um, open your churches uh, to the glory of God, feed your sheep, um, let them practice the one another's, take part in the ordinances. Um, there is a there's a dividing line, I think, today, and it's baffling that a health order has been put in place over um, a virus that is serious. It does. There, there are people dying from it. We, we do take that seriously. Um, but, but to put aside the gathering, um, is just so shocking to me. And so my plea would just be for men to open your churches in obedience to Christ. And I think really realize what's happening because I think when the church history books are written, it'll be our generation that willingly tossed away a sound biblical ecclesiology. And I think that's what people are really having to, um, like understand right now and, and what is the role of government. And I would just recommend that they listen to James's sermon from February 14th on the role of government, but this is serious. This is um, the spiritual welfare of God's people is at stake. And that's a very serious thing, especially with what's hitting the church with critical race theory and wokeism. When you leave people at home and there's not that sharpening happening uh, with the one another's uh, that's, that's very serious. And so I would just say, um, consider what you're doing. And, um, I hope and pray that they wake up to what's actually happening. How can we support your husband? How can we support you? And how, how can we support your church? Should we send letters? And if so, where should we send those letters? Can you perhaps help us? I've seen some things online and people talking about writing letters to support your husband. So tell us a little bit about where you would have us send those letters if we want to do that. Um, I've actually asked, uh, if people wanted to send letters to send them to our church and I can get you that address because what I would like to do is get photocopies of those just in case they get lost in the system. I don't actually know what's getting to him. Like I wrote him a letter last week and he hasn't gotten it yet. So, um, just for prayer, just pray that the gospel would go forth. This is, this is our heart. This is our ministry. Um, this is the only thing that we want at this point. We don't need um, any financial support. The Lord has has taken care of us well. Our lawyer is a constitutional lawyer and he works pro bono. So you can always donate to the JCCF um, if you want to donate to the, the company that our lawyer works for. But um, my biggest prayer is that Canada and specifically Alberta would wake up and that if we would just join together and pray that men would open their churches, um, that is our heart. That's all we want. We just want you to obey Christ and uh, to, to tend to the sheep and care for his lambs. Aaron, thank you for joining me for this edition of the G3 podcast. Thanks for taking time away. Uh, in your busy day to have this conversation. I pray that I pray that it's helpful to people who are listening to this episode. And I pray that it will be an encouragement to you and your church as well. Continue to stand firm in your faith for the glory of King Jesus. Thank you. As we reflect on what Erin has just talked to us about, and as she has described this entire story, first of all, what a joy to hear her testimony and her steadfastness in the faith. But this should embolden us to persevere in the faith. Now, in the beginning, when COVID was initially uh, talked about and we were getting the warnings from the CDC and from other individuals who were talking to us about the, the potential threat and the grim danger of this pandemic, 
I think it was wise for church leaders to pause and to maybe, you know, not meet together for a couple of weeks and, and assess the, the situation and figure out what would be best and, and, and how can the church navigate through the complexities of, of a pandemic. But as we were able to assess the situation and see that this entire pandemic was massively politicized, it was essential for church leaders and for pastors to do the right thing and to call the church to reassemble, to come back together. Because as we think about uh, the pandemic itself, and as we think about how it's been extremely difficult and actually harmful for the life of the church over this past year, it is mandated that we gather together as a church. We can't function and be a church if we're not together. And so the health of the church will decline and individual sanctification and and our growth in the in the things of the Lord will diminish. And so it is essential for us to meet. The church cannot be the church through a video screen. And so what that means is is that if you find yourself in a country someplace where Christianity is unlawful, it's against the law to gather and worship Jesus, then you actually do that. You do it anyway. You risk everything to gather together in an underground setting and worship Christ. And that means that you put your very life on the line. And when it comes to our present day scenario, and we find ourselves with you know, government leaders and other individuals who are placing pressure upon local churches based on this pandemic, then you must make the hard choice, as James Coates did. And you must meet together and function together as a church. And then you must accept the consequences of those choices that you make. And so as we think about the the pressing culture, as we think about the depravity of our present society and we look at the woke movement and we look at the social justice agenda and then we consider the many you know uh, future uh, ideas and and movements that will certainly emerge from the cesspool of human depravity the christian church will continue to be hated and despised christians will not be loved by the world jesus has warned us of this and so as we consider the reality of our calling as a believer in a dark world, the Christians who are persecuted are never going to be made out to be heroes. They're always going to be made out to be fools of our society or even enemies of our society. And so we must remain steadfast. We must have a constant resolve that we will follow Christ no matter what. So it's essential for us to continue to challenge the overreach of the government upon the church in our present day. James Coates did the right thing. Praise God for him and praise God for his faithful, loving church. May God raise up more pastors just like him and more churches just like this church, Grace Life Church in Edmonton. And so may God bless. Now, the question is simply this. Will you stand firm? When called upon to suffer for Jesus, if you're called upon to suffer in the same way that that others throughout history have been, a John Bunyan, a John the Baptist, will you stand firm? And so this is why church matters. And this is why the, the, the seriousness of church worship on the Lord's Day and discipleship actually matters. If we raise up another generation of just superficial Sunday-only Christians, 
then when genuine persecution is unleashed on the church in America, then the churches will be empty. And, and they will not stand because they consider their lives of greater value than they do Jesus himself. So as we conclude, I want to tell the story of a 16-year-old girl who actually refused to bow to the pressures of her day. The scene was China in the 1970s. And the church was meeting underground, and as the pastor was up preaching and reading out of the Bible, which was his most prized possession, soldiers broke through the door of the home and started to terrorize the church. And they threw the pastor's Bible on the floor, and they said, you can leave, but you must spit on this book of lies first. And everyone who does it can leave, but if you don't, then you'll be killed. The soldier pointed a gun at a man, and, and he knelt down next to the Bible, and he, he spit on it. And as he did, he was pleading, Father, please forgive me. They pointed the gun at a woman, and she did the very same thing. As she spit upon the Bible, she was asking for forgiveness. But then a little 16-year-old young lady, she knelt down next to the Bible and picked it up, and she began to wipe off the Bible with her dress. And she was praying aloud, Why have they done this to your word? Please forgive them. And it was at that very moment that a communist soldier pointed his gun at the little girl, and he pulled the trigger. And as I read that story this past week, it was a fresh reminder of the cost of following Jesus. And as we continue to hear stories like the story here of Pastor James Coates, we need to remember that there is always a cost involved in following Christ. And so I just want to urge you, all of you who are listening to this podcast today, that you would consider the cost of being a Christian. That Christ has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have been identified with King Jesus. And so as a child of the King, you are to take up your cross. You are to deny yourself and you are to walk in the very footsteps of Jesus himself. I want to urge you, I want to urge you pastors who are listening that you would take seriously the call to assemble and to meet and to worship and to be a functioning biblical church as God has called us to be. So be steadfast in the faith, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor and your church's worship and the gathering of your local church is not in vain in Christ Jesus. And thank you for joining us for this edition of the G3 Podcast. We would point you to our website, that's g3men.org, and there you will be able to find various articles and resources, as well as the archives of this very podcast. We pray that that would be an encouragement to you. And also, we would encourage you to look for registration details for the G3 National Conference that will be September 30th through October 2nd. You'll also want to note that we will be having an all-day pre-conference on the 29th. Some very exciting announcements coming very soon, so you'll want to follow us on social media through Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, where we will be announcing some of those upcoming plans for the pre-conference very soon. We hope you can join us for that conference in, in the fall of this year. It's going to be a wonderful conference coming together on the theme of Christ, and so we hope to be able to see you join us this fall. May God bless you. We pray that you would be encouraged in the gospel of King Jesus. Until next time, we'll see you next week on the G3 Podcast.